Genesis 15, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is what the Lord said. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So God speaks in verse 9. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces." And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It's a lot of verses. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, What in the world does this have to do with where we are, where I am, what's going on in my life. And I want to promise that some of, it, some of you, it's going to hit squarely where you live. I, I've learned this. I don't know that I can give you a singular Bible verse on it to prove it's true all the time. I don't think it is true all the time, but it is true for a lot of, a lot of the time. For those of you that are pressing into the Lord for the very best that he has, his destiny over your life, what he's decreed over your life, the very best components of that he's making you wait for. He doesn't give it all in an instant, and he rarely gives you everything on day number one. And what we're reading through is, is the Abrahamic covenant. It is one of the most significant covenants in all of the Word of God, and we've just read through the specifics of it on the day that God ratified that covenant with Abraham, and all over it is grace, 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 grace. And through it, Abraham is squirming. He's squirming in a season where God is making him wait and teaching him to rest 
in his grace. And so I want to walk us through this passage of scripture. Go back up into verse number one if you've got your Bible open. If not, follow on the screen. And let's just walk in Abraham's story. The stories, the biographies, the testimonies of individuals in Scripture are so helpful because God hasn't changed, and although He can be as creative with you as He is with anybody else, there are some things that we've learned that He employs in all of our lives as we seek our lives to be elements of glory for, for, for His name. And so Abram was one of those individuals, and we see in verses, the first six verses that he was struggling. Abram was in a season of struggle in his life, so God gets straightforward with Abram. In verse number one, God actually initiates or facilitates a conflict with Abram. It reads like this, after these things, your mind ought to automatically say, after what things? Well, I'm going to tell you. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. So at 70 years old, Abram is a pagan, the son of a pagan, who was the son of a pagan, who was the son of a pagan. And he is living out his days just as all his ancestors did. And he's there and God chooses him. God marks Abram out of all the people of the earth for no reason other than God's sovereign choice. He says, Abram, you're the one I am going to bless. And at 70 years old, he says to Abram, get out of your father's land, pack up and start heading to a place that I'll show you. So at 70 years old, that's not the time frame where most people are looking to start out on an adventure in life. And Abram gets an assigned adventure from God, and he obeys. He hears the voice of the Lord, and he begins moving towards an undefined future, but he does it in obedience. And around uh, age 75, God begins to speak to him about his destiny, that he's going to have lots of descendants, tons of children, as many as the, the stars are in the sky. At 75 years old, God starts to communicate that to him. And he says also, and Abram, by the way, this land that I'm taking you to, everywhere you put your foot down, it's yours. I'm giving you all of this land, and it's going to be inhabited by tons of descendants. But if you don't know the story of Abram, there was one little technicality. He didn't have any kids. Now, we'll keep it G-rated, but most of you know Biology 101. And ain't too many 70-year-olds having their first kid. It just doesn't work that way. And 75 by the time he got that word. Well, we're actually about 10 to 12 years past that. Still no kid. So he's in his 80s now where we find him in Genesis chapter number 15. And he's just gone through this amazing battle with five kings. He rescues some people. They offer to give him this great reward. And he says, I don't want any of your reward. If I'm going to be prospered, I want it to be known that God has prospered me. So I don't want any of your stuff. And you keep all your stuff. I just want the people that I rescued and we'll go back home. And so Abram is living in integrity. He's living for the glory of God. He is seeking to honor God in both the battles and the blessings in life. But the whole context of his life is in the background. It's running in the background all the time. It's what about the promise? What about the promise? What about the promise? See, me and you, we, we start twitching like 30 days when God hasn't come through. It's like, you, you told me something in, all the way back in February, Lord. Where is it? Abraham's a decade plus into waiting, and every day he waits in the natural, it's less likely that the promise can ever come. That was part of what Abraham was learning, that this isn't about living in the natural. This is about trusting God's grace and letting God do what only God can do. So what does God do? God comes to Abram, and God's omniscient, so he knows Abram's struggling in his heart, and God actually primes the pump to get the water of Abram's heart to start spilling out. He says to Abram, he says to him, 
I don't want you to be afraid of anything, Abraham, because I'm your shield. That's God's way of saying, yeah, I know you just conquered those five kings, but don't you worry about them coming back after you. I've got your back. I'm your defense. I'm your protector. And Abram, your reward shall be very great. And so God is actually coming to Abram, and very subtly he's reiterating his promises to Abram. He's saying to him, hey, don't forget the reward that's coming. And I love Abram's response because it's not churchified. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, Shakespearean eloquence as he bows to the Lord and, and kind of giving these little, these little uh, statements of great faith. Look at what he does. Go down into verse number two. Abram gets, gets raw with God. By the way, this is a season for some of you to be doing that. Abram discloses his doubts. So God just said, I got your back, Abram, and don't forget the reward that's coming. And look what the, the word says. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give for me? What will you give me? I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Don't rewrite your Bible. Don't make that anything other than what it is. Abram, we know that it's about the state that he believes God, but he's living in that difficult place where somebody does believe God, but they're struggling with that unbelief because the God they believe in isn't doing things the way they thought he would do things. You ever been there? Some of you are there right now. But you know what, 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 what kind of elongates those seasons? Is when we don't get honest with God about the contents of our heart. And we actually think we can fake it with God. And we have all these little cliches that have been passed down to us through religious environments and we're afraid to speak anything and we, we don't want to sound like we're doubting. Listen, you, God reads your heart perfectly. He, he reads your heart even if your mouth is saying something different. So Abram didn't say, oh God, I'm not worried about it at all. Oh Lord, I know you got this. I, I know I'm 86. I, I, know I have no idea how I'm going to be able to procreate with my wife at 86 years old, but I'm not worried about it a bit. In your time, it'll come to pass. We're cool. We're great. No problem, Lord. No, he looks at God, so to speak, and he says, what are you going to give me? He actually said, what are you going to give me? I'm childless. You see, the promise was that he would have a multitude of descendants. He's in his mid-80s. He doesn't even have his first descendant. And then this is where it gets interesting because he starts talking himself into a false destiny. He says, Lord, do you see Eleazar out there? My servant? He's from Damascus. He's going to end up inheriting all of my stuff. There's my heir. There's the one that's going to inherit all my substance. You see, when, when you start questioning the ways of God and you stay there a long time you'll start filling in blanks you were never meant to fill in you'll start speaking things and believing things that were never in the heart of God but this is the nature of doubt when doubt takes root and we feel like we can't express it we don't get honest with God about it and listen I'm just going to tell you I, I would love to be the guy that's never doubted God I would love to be that kind of pastor and be up here and tell you step one, step two, step three on how you can live with a doubt-free life. I'm not that guy. I've had to wrestle through some stuff with the Lord, and there have been times where I'm like, where are you and what are you doing? Now, I wish it wasn't so, but it was so. But it was through that honesty and that raw confession of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It was through that that God said, okay, now you're starting to know what's in you. Because he was much more interested in where my heart was than where my plan was. And so when, when we see Abram, he's, 
he's saying here, he's, he's like, yeah, this is actually what's going to happen. Eleazar is going to end up being my, my heir, and he's a member of my household. Well, go, go a little bit further, because I love the Lord. Man, this is his grace, this is his mercy. But Abraham's struggling with doubt, and, and so God just gets straightforward with him. Look in verse number four. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man, speaking of Eliezer, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. I love the fact that God looked at Abraham, or Abram at this time, and he said, you are wrong. You're wrong. Abram felt it. Abram rationalized it. Abram reached that conclusion by processing everything that he was seeing and, and eventually comes to the wrong conclusion because he's saying God can't do what God said he would do. Therefore, I bet this is what God's going to do. And he starts living with that in his heart and the Lord just shot blocks it. Abram's throwing up this half-court shot that he thinks is sure to go in, and God just swoops in, and boom! He's like, no, that's not going to be your heir. I told you your very own son was going to be your heir. You know, I, I, I think when we're, we're talking about grace, sometimes we need to recognize that a component of grace, God will just come in and reorient your thinking if your thinking is jacked up. God does not always pat us on the head when we are wrong. God does not always just come in with cuddle bugs and, you know, just want to snuggle with us. Oh, sometimes God just looks at you and says, no, your thinking is completely wrong. And what, that ought to actually be a delight to us, to have our, our thinking corrected. Um, I do feel for Eleazar because he, <laughs> word's going to get to him. Because Eleazar's probably thinking, he's 86 years old, he ain't got no kid, I'm his best employee. This whole spread's going to be mine. And poor Eleazar, he, he got shot blocked too. By the way, there's a learning lesson there. God reserves the right to promote over us whoever he chooses. Yeah. Um, sometimes we're the Eleazar. Sometimes we're the Abram. Sometimes we're the Isaac who would come later. But the reality is, is all of this is about God graciously uh, releasing his plan, a plan that would not just touch Abram, and not just Isaac and Jacob, and not just Israel nationally, but would touch you. Because the Abrahamic covenant is the foundational covenant for the new covenant in which we are living in through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there couldn't be any margin for this thing becoming error. God was making a unilateral covenant. So go down uh, a little bit further. God stretches Abram without apology because Abram is still in this moment of doubt and God brings him outside. So God's like in the tent with Abram and he brings him outside of the tent and he tells Abram, look towards the heavens. Number the stars if you're able to do that. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, what I love about the Lord in this is God didn't go into this long, big narrative to reassure Abram. He's basically saying to Abram, I want you to remember what I told you. You know, doubt will cause you to reinvent what the Lord has spoken over your life. Because we get impatient, because we live by rational assumptions, by the way, because we usually have a host of people telling us to give up on our dream, to give up on the vision, to boycott the word of the Lord because you must have missed it. There's always those voices. And sometimes the Lord just takes us, and I love it, he brings Abram outside of the tent, 
and, and he makes his, his, his uh, perspective larger. He, he says, Abram, look up there. Count the stars if you are able to. He says, I told you, that's how many descendants you're going to have. It's an amazing thing, friends. I don't know where some of you are in this journey, but I, I, I'm calling you to revisit, at the very least, revisit the words that have been spoken over your life that have not come to pass. I believe this is a season where God is reacquainting us with destinies that we dropped. He's calling us to go back and find the axe head that fell in the water so he can cause it to float again, and we can take that thing. And so many times, the fact that God doesn't move obviously and the fact that God doesn't move quickly and the fact that we don't have anybody in our amen corner telling us it's going to happen, sometimes the Lord's grace wants to get you all alone in his grip and in his grip, there are times where we struggle and we squirm and we're, it's uncomfortable because we don't want him to grip us. We want him to release us and then use that same hand to make things happen for us. But he's much more interested in holding us to himself than he is, uh, you know, being the facilitator of whatever plan we might have. And so when he, he, he brings him outside, he says, this is the way it's going to be, Abram. So go down a little bit further. Abram is, frankly, clueless, but God has a plan. And I love the way that the Lord does not allow this thing to fall apart simply because of Abram's struggle. That's a, that's a, that's a helpful word. You don't always have to be on your A game for God to always, ever faithfully be on his constant, perfect A game on your behalf. Jesus is the only one that had an A game every single second of every hour of every day of every month of every year of his entire life on earth. And the rest of us, we're going to go through seasons of struggle. Abram was clueless, but God has this plan. Now, look in verses 7 and 8. You got these promises apart from proof. The just shall live by proof. No, the just shall live by faith. God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that um, I, sh I shall possess it? Now, what's interesting is the verse above just said, Abram believed God, and God imputed it unto him for righteousness. So Abram's not in a state of unbelief in the character of God, but he's processing how this God that he believes in can come through on what he's been saying. And so when, when Abram's looking at the land, so God comes in, He's told him, I'm going to give you the descendants I said I was going to give you. Abram's like, that's awesome. And then God just comes and, and addresses the other point of doubt, because there were two points to the covenant that he's dealing with here. He says, I'm the, I'm the God who told you to leave the land, the land where you had a home, the land where you had a, a, a past, a history, the land where you had familiarity, the land where, where you, know how to, you knew how to live in Ur of the Chaldees. You knew how to do it. I'm the God who told you to leave that land so you could come to this land and own it. And, and Abram says, how? That's what he asked. Oh, Lord God. So he's got his, he's got his you know, reverence down. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, let's have a little bit of grace for Abram. So, Abram's just a dude with, he's doing well, he's got some money, he's got some prosperity, but he's got no descendants, he doesn't have a massive army, he's got some servants that know how to fight, but the land is filled with all of these people, all of the ites. You got the Girgashites and the 
I don't even want to go through them. It's exhausting. But they got all these, these different ites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, uh, the men in tights, and the uh, Pickafites, and all of these guys. And they're, they're all throughout the land, and Abram's 86. He's 86. He might have been a tough old dude, but he's asking a legit question. I, I don't have an arsenal. I don't have an army. I don't have the skills. I don't have the strength. And the promise of the Lord over his life just provoked Abram to look within. And he's like, all I see is my lack, my weakness, my own inability. Can I suggest to all of us that that's actually part of the plan when God's teaching you to rest in grace? That he's actually wanting you not to give lip service to your weakness. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to know it because we sing about it all the time. And back in the day, and this was way back in the day, where there was this little chorus we used to sing, and um, my wife would get so frustrated because it was always sung to an up, upbeat kind of tune. It was like, dun, 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 dun. And we'd sing, brokenness, brokenness, it's what I long for. Brokenness, it's what I need. And we sang it like we're, you know, at a bar after five beers. I mean, it was, a, it was like, what? And Amy would be like, that's not really the spirit of brokenness. <laughs> We just quit singing the song because we thought it was easier than teaching everybody how to sing it sad. So we just, uh... but my point being is this, it's easy to sing about brokenness. It's easy to talk about weakness. It's easy to, to preach on what is brokenness, brokenness, weakness, and humility. God's not interested in more of our talk. He's saying, no, I know you can say it. I know you can sing it. I know you can teach it, but you really don't believe it. So Abram, let me make you promises that there's no way they can be accomplished with you by yourself. I, I think that if we are going to continue to step into everything that God has for us, I don't think it, I know it, there's going to be deeper levels of humility and brokenness required of all of us. Uh, I don't remember who it was. It may have been um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, maybe, who said, God can never use a man until he bruises him deeply. We don't like that in our day because we like happy God, easy God, comfortable God, God who prospers, God who blesses, God who always sings sweet things. We always want the continual Zephaniah 3 twirling about us and singing over us. But we've got to realize sometimes, you know, he, he's, he's actually a really good father, and the stuff that he wants to purge out of us is actually counterproductive to his plan over us. And so that's what's happening to Abram. And Abram's just saying, God, how am I to know that I'm going to possess this land? How? That is, the, that is the horn that we all get hung up on. I, I, I believe believing what is easy. Because we know that God can do the impossible, right? So the word, when it's spoken, you know, it may be a personal word, it may be somebody spoke a word over you, it may be something you read in the Scripture and the Holy Spirit seals it, that that's a word over you. And in the moment you receive it, the what is glorious. It's awesome. And then like 30 seconds later, you start saying, but how's that going to happen? And all of a sudden, our wheels start spinning. We don't even linger over the what before we start trembling over the how. And, and the Lord wants us to remember, hey, the one who gave you the what will provide the how. But it's a test. Y'all with me on this? This may only be hitting 10 or 12 people, but it's 10 or 12 people that I believe he gave me the word for. So go down. Uh, into verses 9 and 10 because God starts giving instructions without explanations. 
uh, there's a difference between an instruction and an explanation. An explanation helps you see the why of the what, and instruction is just telling you what. So in verses 9 and 10, God says to Abram, remember, he's just asked, how am I going to inherit the land? And God says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. If I'm Abram, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, now, that makes sense. I, I now understand how... I'm not being irreverent. I'm just trying to be human here. I'm like, I, I asked you a question, and you told me to go get animals. <laughs> Verse number 10, he, he brought the Lord all of these. He cut them in half, so he, he's knowing enough to prepare a sacrifice. And he laid each half over against the other, but the birds he did not cut into half. All right, that doesn't make any sense to me and you, but if we were living in that generation and in that culture, we'd understand perfectly that the Lord was calling Abram to prepare a sacrifice. Now, those days you didn't have written contracts. In those days there were no e-signatures. I mean, in those days it was your word, but often to ratify an agreement between two parties, they would share in a mutual sacrifice, and that would serve as a covenant or at the very least, an agreement, a mutual agreement between two parties. And so Abram's realizing, okay, God is taking what he has spoken and he is now taking it up a notch because we're going to enter into agreement with each other. God's going to be one half of the agreement. I'm Abram. I'm going to be the other half of agreement. Here we go. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, not really. Because Abram is right about some of it, but he's not right about all of it because this covenant is holy on God. This agreement, God's actually going to certify both parties. God's actually going to put Abram so deep in the grip of grace that Abram is actually going to be asleep when God ratifies the covenant. So let's look at it very quickly. Verse 11. So Abraham's obeying. He lays out all the, the animal parts. But watch this. This spoke to me. I don't even have time to preach it like I want to. Verse 11, And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I was sitting in the prayer room a month and a half ago. I've literally been reading this passage for myself for over a month. It's about six weeks ago. I'm sitting in the prayer room, and I, I'm just like, my goodness. We can be obedient. We can be trusting. We can be right in alignment in the moment with what God is saying to do. We can put our sacrifice before him. We can be totally in the will of God. And the birds of prey are still going to come and try to steal what we're laying before the Lord. I, this spoke to me. Simply this. That the enemy never takes a day off. Never goes on vacation and is extra engaged when he sees you and the Lord circling around a covenant. When you're bringing your sacrifice before the Lord, when you're laying it down, when you're resting in grace, when you are releasing yourself, when you are being obedient and you're pressing in and you don't have all the answers, but you know God's got your ear in the moment, and you're laying down your sacrifices before the Lord, the enemy does not say, man. The enemy says, let's get that, boys. And they descend to steal what you're sacrificing to the Lord. And that's where a lot of people lose their confidence that God's going to come through because they didn't protect it. They didn't protect it in their heart. They didn't protect it in their mind. They let the enemy sweep in with doubt, sweep in with accusation, sweep in with a poverty or an orphan mindset. 
and sweep in in such ways that the very thing that God called you to bring before him, as you bring it before him, but when the enemy comes in, we end up saying at times, oh, it must not have been the Lord. No, it was the Lord. The enemy fought you on it. But here's the good news. Um, the devil's a thief, but God knows where to find him. He can lock up all the stuff that he stole from you in his favorite little locker, but God's got a master key and can get it all back. And he's calling some of you to believe that. I feel it in my spirit right now. He's calling some of you to believe it. Let me finish. So this is where, where grace gets very humbling. Abraham was asleep, but God was active. God requires no assistance. Can you say this with me? If you believe it, if you don't believe it, don't say it. God does not need my help. That was, that was strong. That was good. Yeah, I, I, me too, Billy. Because again, it's easy for us to preach. It's easy for us to sing. It's easy for us to dialogue about. But what do we do when he literally removes our ability to handle it, to fix it, to nudge it? We're nudgers. We're spiritual nudgers. We're like, we're raising our hands. We're praising the Lord. God is in control today. Nudging it, nudging it, nudging it. God is in control. Scoot it forward, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are looking like, how dare you? <laughs> we do that. We do it. But in this instance, listen, verse 12. says, the sun was, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. This is not just Abram's tired. This is a uh, God-induced coma, basically, that's coming upon Abram. And then the Bible adds this, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I don't know what that means. I can only read it. I, I want it to mean this or that, and I read people that say they know what it means. Ultimately, I just step back, and I think it means that a dreadful and great darkness fell upon them. <laughs> so, I mean, the sun was down. He's already asleep, and as the sun is down, physically, naturally dark, and he's asleep, you know, cognitively dark, then in the midst of that, another layer is added, and it doesn't sound awesome. It, uh, great dread, dreadful and great darkness falls upon him. So Abram's in a place where, you know, very few of us are going to sign up to go. It's like he's completely out of control. Not out of control as in berserk, but out of control as he's not running the show. And grace repeatedly has to teach you that. We came into this thing thinking salvation is holy of the Lord. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. And then we mistakenly think that from that point on, Jesus does a half and I do half. And while there is clearly a call to obedience and abiding and trusting and cooperating, I, just, I actually want to relieve you. The big picture, God's too wise to let the big picture hinge on you. And even when we blow it, because there's like four of us in the room that blew it once, even if we blow it, God is not handcuffed and, and unable to redeem that which we fumbled or blew. And so the reason why I'm sharing that part of it is because I want you to know 
that he's not like the, when you, you fail a, a class in school or you fail a test in school. I always had those teachers that would let you take a retest. And then you had that one science teacher, and she was mean. And her answer was always, you should have studied harder. <laughs> God's not her. God's not her. God's okay with a retest. It'll look different. It, it won't be the exact same. doesn't mean there are no consequences for our fumbles. But it does mean this. He's not the teacher that lets you fail the class and he's not moved. And so some of you, listen, I, if you put yourself on probation with the Lord, that's, that's not a kingdom thing. God's into pardons, not probation. And, and he doesn't want you to be, to be constantly like, well, life will never be what it, what it could be because I blew it in 2004. That's not the Lord. That's not grace. The Lord comes and, and literally, and by the way, Abram's going to fail in the next couple of chapters after getting these words. Abram actually gets the spiritual word, gets reoriented and understands it, but God still takes a little bit more time than Abram's comfortable with. And so Sarah and Abraham get together and they're like, oh, this is what he must have meant. And they come up with their own plan. So it's just awesome to see that God's not intimidated by any of our failures. I'm almost done. Worship team, if y'all can come up here, it will relieve the people. <laughs> so God here in verses 13 through 16, he's going to release the fuller explanation while Abram's asleep. Remember, Abram asked a question. He's like, how am I going to have kids? And how am I going to get the land? And all God said is, I told you you'd have the kids and you'd have the land. No explanation. None. And then God puts Abram under. He gives him some heavenly anesthesia and Abram's out. And then God starts explaining to him. The Lord says to Abram, verse 13, Know for a certain that your offspring are going to be sojourners in a land that it is not theirs. And that they will be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. That's Egypt. But I will bring judgment on Egypt. And afterward, your people will come out with great possessions. And as for you, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. And your people, Abram, your descendants are going to come back to this land that you don't know how you're going to get. Well, Abram, let me tell you, it's going to be yours forever, but it's going to be in the fourth generation that they actually inhabit the land because I am allowing the time of the Amorites, the bad guys, to come to its complete climax. So there's a couple ways you can go with this. You can say, hold on a second. Technically, God didn't give Abraham what he said. Well, I'm going to tell you that a covenant with God Almighty is always deeper than our technicality that we like to raise. Abram, and in their day, by the way, it was more about your descendants than it was your own name. So to leave something for your descendants, and remember the whole covenant, the whole Abrahamic covenant was, was about the land and the people for generations to come. And so while he's asleep, God says to him, this is how it will happen. Nobody saw Egypt coming. Nobody understood that, that Israel was going to become a massive populated people with great wealth by undergoing four centuries of slavery and then getting released by God through signs and wonders. And so God is telling Abram all of that. 
Why is, how does that help us all? Is there anything we can learn from that? Yeah, you absolutely can. That you can learn that when you are saying to God, you can't do what you said you were going to do because I don't see how it will happen, God's laughing. He's like, he's like, oh, you think you're that smart? I love you. You are adorable. By the way, child, I am omniscient and omnipotent, and you're you. And what he's saying in that, and that obviously I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but the reality is, is that we are like Abram all the time, and sometimes God get a, has got to get us so deep in grace that we're basically lying there and can offer nothing. Yes. Nothing. Abraham didn't pop up and say, God, I got it now. Let me tell you how I can help you out. Absolutely prostrate. Absolutely asleep. And so, God, let me give you this, and I'm just going to share it. I'm not going to preach it. So Abram's asleep, and God does this thing that's actually very cool down in verse number 17. God enacts both sides of the covenant. Because what would happen is if two men were making an agreement that day, both men, the, you got half the sacrifices on this side, the other half on this side, both parties would walk through the middle of the sacrifices, and that would be the symbol that enacted and ratified the covenant. So God puts Abraham in a coma, and then God, look at, just let me read it to you. When the sun had, go, had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, and this is when he says, on that day, he's ratified, I am giving all of your descendants that will be, I'm giving them all of this land. And I thought to myself, I, again, I don't, I don't really understand the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch other than to say it was a manifestation of the presence and the personhood of God. And so it could probably mean a hundred things. It's all conjecture, but if nothing else, uh, the pot was something that contained something. And because it was smoking, you know there's some heat, there's some movement, something's going on in there. And it might mean, just might mean, that God manifests in that to say, Abram, the covenant is alive inside of me. It's alive, I'm holding that thing. And then the torch, as it passes through, is clearly just the presence, the illuminating, fiery presence of God. And so Abram wakes up, and God says, I got it all taken care of. That's the how. How how, is this going to happen, Lord? Y'all better start playing because I'm going to keep preaching. (laughs) How's this going to happen, Lord? And God says, me. 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 Can you stand to your feet? I'm calling any and all doubters that want to come and just get honest with them. And say, Lord, I'm re-believing you. I'm re-believing you. Whether the birds of prey swept down and stole it, whether I blew it, whether I tried to do what was spiritual in the strength of my own flesh, Lord, I don't know what happened. I don't know it all, but Lord, I'm just coming today. And I'm saying, I'm just going to believe you. That was all Abram did. Abram believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And then he, he still had to work it out. He still had to work it out. Some of you have callings and assignments 
that life talked you out of. I'm praying the Holy Spirit will talk you right back into it today. Don't ask how first. Ask who. Lord, is this you? Lord, if it's you, then what is it that you're saying to me? The last question, listen, the last question is how. Because if it's of the Lord, it can't be done fully by natural resources. It can't be. So we don't even really have the capacity to grasp the how right off the bat. I want you to rejoice over the what and the who of the what. The how is what the enemy busts to the front of the line, tries to get in the front of the line and hold it right in front of your face and say, how's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? I just say to the enemy today, in the name of Jesus, we will not listen to your accusations and we will not allow a peace in our heart about that which you've stolen from us. So Father, in the name of Jesus, reacquaint your kids with the vision you gave them, the calling you gave them, the gift that you gave them. Rip off of us, Lord, any vestige of the orphan spirit. Tear it off of us, Lord. Remind us that you're not a father like earthly fathers, that you're not a probation officer, that you're not an offended science teacher who takes glee in our failing of the test. But come and move in the midst, Father. Come and walk upon the, the walk in the midst of the, the things we lay down before you today. Come and be that boiling, smoking pot and that fiery torch. Bring movement and heat and light again to dreams that we let something talk us out of. Father, give fresh callings in this house right now. Not callings that have been given and lost, but callings that have never been given. Release them right now, Holy Spirit. I dare you to believe what the Lord's saying to you right now. I dare you to believe that he's good enough to do what he's impressed upon your heart, and he can do it with your weakness. He can do it with your incompleteness. He can do it with your fumbling through it. He's not asking you to perfect what he begins. The psalmist said, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The one who begins it will finish it. He'll complete it all. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we bring nothing but dependence and trust. We confess doubts, Lord. We won't hide them from you anymore. We confess them, Lord. We confess them. And like Abram, Lord, we will protect from this day forward what you say over us against the birds of prey, against the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Give us vision for our generation, Lord. Give us a vision for what you want to do. Give us the hunger that aligns itself with your heart. And let nothing talk us out of what you have decreed over us. In Jesus' name, amen.